Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, my name is Jeremy Casebeer, and this is Our Impact, the show that explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can scale positive outcomes and solutions. Today's episode is brought to you by Fat Tire Amber Ale, America's first carbon neutral beer and one of my favorite brands. They've been B Corp certified since 2013 and the first brewery to join 1% for the planet. To learn more about their initiatives around sustainability, visit drinksustainably.com. My guest today is Andy Fife. I love Andy's title. He's the growth catalyst at B Lab and leads growth and stewardship of the certified B Corp community. He did his undergrad at Boulder and spent a year in Santiago, Chile, studying microfinance, economic development, and globalization. And afterwards, he traveled around South America as a nomadic researcher. He's been at B-Lab for over 10 years, and we discussed his background in microfinance, how B Corp is a holistic certification looking at social and environmental impacts of an entire business and how that differs from other third-party certifications, and the recent shift in the B Corp movement advocating for sweeping policy for all businesses versus individual adoption. And my favorite takeaway, finding your lane, which we get into towards the end, and I will most definitely be borrowing from Andy. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Andy Fife, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. So I've been following your work and read a number of your articles over the years. B Corp has been what I've looked to to try and figure out, start figuring out my own impact and what impact actually means. So I'm really excited to dive in. Um, would love to hear just a little bit about your background and what led you to B Lab and kind of how you got started. Yeah, it's been a journey pretty close to today. It's been about 10 years of working for B Lab and couldn't be happier or more grateful. I have an incredible team of people with rich backgrounds ranging from food justice to advocacy to politics and just really inspiring, capable, great group and family to work with. And so I, I give thanks. Before B Lab, I was working in a little bit of microfinance, actually, in, in Chile, uh, in a small port town called Vaparaiso. And that was after doing a little stint of education in, in Santiago, which I was really grateful for to get a little um, study abroad experience. And I really learned, I think, really inspired by seeing entrepreneurs. They wouldn't even call themselves entrepreneurs. You know, they were just running business to open up the flower shop down the street in yeah. the corner or open up the bodega and, and really just put food in the table. And so I, I had the opportunity to sit down with, they were all women entrepreneurs, but just really thinking about micro lending and what does it look like to lean on one another as, as business owners uh, and to make sure those loans get repaid and, and how they themselves can support each other. And so I, I bring that up because, uh, you know, long after that, backpacking through Central and South America for about a year, came back and, you know, I bought a VW camper and I was not, <laughs> was not anticipating to, you know, put on a colored shirt and look through an inbox uh, as many hours as I do now. Yeah. Uh, but I was actually really inspired by hearing about what B-Lab was up to and especially just reaffirmed by the types of companies like New Belgium Brewery and Dr. Bronner's and Quackey and Patagonia. And what I like about B-Lab especially is that it's not just about a certification. It's really looking at systems change of what's the underbelly of capitalism and how it slithers through our communities and really hits people in disproportionate amounts. And obviously our planet is making it clear that it's uh, 
not beneficial to a limited amount of resources. And what I liked about B-Lab is it took a very systemic approach on, okay, how do we really rewrite the rules of this game? Because it's unfair. It's not working for a bunch of people. And how do we uh, just kind of lift up, you know, inspiring stories and stand for things, not against, but really look at some companies that are some beacons, some lighthouses uh, to really affirm um, the great impact that they're having and maybe inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs or any job seeker, people like you and me to just feel a little bit more faith in the role of the business sector. Absolutely. And that was one of the things when I started looking into my personal impacts and trying to figure out kind of what I could do was so cool learning about the B impact assessment. And basically you give a step-by-step approach for any business that wants to see where they may have gaps and it's free to anyone. If you want to certify, then you go through that process. But I love the idea of putting a process in a starting point for anyone that wants to take that first step, because it's hard to know where to begin. Yep. One thing I've been just learning personally is that it's a sacred gift to get checked. You know, if, if someone's willing to jump in, interrupt you and show you where you have room to grow, whether it's personally or just from a business standpoint, I think humanity is our currency. And that, that's a really important way for us to open up to those uh, difficult conversations. And especially as a business, it's hard to know what questions to be asking yourself. So at least hopefully that assessment, which is free that companies take to certify, uh, any company can go ahead and take that and use it as a set of guardrails. I'd love to learn just a little bit more about how the certification started out and how it develops. You guys iterate and update every three years. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we, we call ourselves B-Lab because it's an experiment. And I think probably in more ways than one, but at least in the world of standards is that perfect is the enemy of good. And so we yeah. really depend on that feedback to, again, like put us in check and rethink, you know, what those questions are. And that's, a, that's just an ongoing reckoning, especially right now for, for us to really rethink uh, what are those measurements and those benchmarks that we uh, ask of companies to really be able to prove that they're credible and that they're meeting what we call the performance requirement. And what are the different impacts that a company who wants to certify as B Corp has to evaluate themselves and look at their performance? Yeah, it's really holistic. So I think that's one way that B Corp really sets itself apart. You know, there's great other certifications, you know, fair trade, organic. Now there's regenerative organic certification pioneered by Bronner's and Patagonia and LEED certification for buildings. These are really, really important and they're very focused with good depth, like within the area of uh, expertise that they have. So whether that's the product, you know, supply chain, the facility, B Corp really looks holistically, almost like an umbrella across all these different certifications. And so we look at uh, a few different, what we call impact areas. We look at the company's community involvement, how they treat their workers, their environmental footprint. We also look at the governance of the business, which I think sometimes gets overlooked, especially for folks who maybe call themselves social entrepreneurs. And then if the company has a business model that helps support their customers, so that could be like access to education or access to safe drinking water. Maybe it's a law firm that especially uh, focuses and serves uh, women, Black, or other people of color-owned businesses. Uh, we also want to give credit to folks who are look at their customer base in a way they're providing service. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I loved when I first came across B Corp is the question of how do you know you can trust a brand? How do you know mm-hmm. that they're not just slapping some tree-looking logo on their products and spending more money on their PR or marketing than the actual impacts they're saying they're working towards. And that's the cool thing about B Corp certification is there is a rigorous process. There are standards, there is accountability. I hear you on that. Like the good thing is that 
I think that it's a good affirmation that there's a trust gap because it shows that people are demanding for something higher or something more or that they feel as though there's a gap. And that's important because then there's an appetite. And I think that's like a really relevant ingredient for any type of social movement is that there's broad recognition that something isn't working. But for that to become a movement, there needs to then be some viable alternatives, you know, to then point to or some type of solution. And so we're not saying B Corps are perfect by any means, uh, but at least it provides a mark, you know, a logo that you can at least know that these companies are meeting the most rigorous uh, social and environmental standards to date while knowing those are going to continue to evolve and not just meeting that, but they're also legally accountable to it, which is super unique to any other certification. And they're so they actually have to change their bylaws to in- incorporate the yeah. entire stakeholders, not just the shareholders, not just maximizing profit. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's uh, understandably, like, I think that's a surprise to folks. It's a bit of a shocker. So people don't expect yeah. that to be behind the logo, but one way I'd um, bring that up is I think, you know, Yvonne Schwenard is the founder of Patagonia. I'm sure you're well familiar and a lot of the listeners here. Uh, you know, not all of us can be the, the rebel entrepreneur um, that he is, but we can all be inspired by his approach to business. And when he was on the steps of, uh, in Sacramento, the Secretary of State's office, when Patagonia became the first California benefit corporation, you know, he got up there and said, this is almost like a conservation easement on a piece of land for a farmer, but for a company. So how do I take this 50, 60 year experiment of Patagonia and make sure that this company continues to really live to its values long beyond me, myself as an individual. And so that's where, where the legal, what we call mission lock you know, comes in, just like you said, like baking that into the DNA of the company. The certification then has this kind of intersection of then being able to answer like, cool, got that there's an easement, what's happening on that farm? You know, how healthy is the soil? How are the farmers being treated? Is there carbon sequestration, you know, happening? And so we see those two things as really interdependent and helpful. So one thing you mentioned is that B Lab and B Corp doesn't stand against anything. It stands for something, but it seems like that's started to shift, especially this past year, 2020 has been rough in so many ways. Um, it seems like there's been a shift uh, in B Lab's mission. Can you talk a little bit about that from voluntary towards more policy focused? Yeah, great question. That's definitely a, a new transition for us. So we, we still stand behind that B-Lab, you know, s- supports those and stands for something, not against something. But I think we can all admit that, you know, with the pandemic that we continue to live through and recent reckonings of racial injustice, uh, not just in our country or abroad, is that we all feel urgency. Uh, it doesn't mean that B-Lab is, is the voice at the table to decide what needs to be done. Uh, but I think we all recognize that we need some critical mass to stand up and willing to lose something. Uh, and we recognize that there are a lot of other organizations doing a lot of important work. And so what we recently just did is uh, put together what we call a White House initiative, uh, a proposal to the um, Biden-Harris administration transition team, uh, really with concrete steps of what would it take to build a more inclusive economy? And a lot of that really surrounds uh, what you might see in the press as being called stakeholder governance or stakeholder capitalism, uh, and also just really locally investing uh, into entrepreneurs and local community. And so a lot of that is saying, hey, this is an option. You know, this legal structure that I just talked about, you know, that's available in 39 states in the US and a few countries abroad. Any company can just go to the Secretary of State's office and go and do it. Uh, What we're saying now is that We actually encourage all companies to do this, especially those that are publicly traded and especially those that 
are um, signatories of the business roundtable. You know, you have 182 businesses and the largest businesses in the world and the most assets under management saying that stakeholder capitalism is the way forward and that the you know, only fiduciary duty of maximizing profit is just doesn't, it's not relevant anymore. However, none of those signatures or any of those companies have actually adopted the legal stakeholder governance that we feel would be necessary for that to actually you know, go into action. So that's us just saying, hey, there's a way to do this uh, and we call on you to take this action. Yeah, and you guys have been around for over 10 years now. And when I've had conversations with other people that may not know much, as much about B Corp, there's a lot of kind of wondering like, well, is it still possible to run a business and look at all the social and environmental impacts? Can you be a profitable business? Can you go public? And it's been cool to see recently, the answer is yes. I mean, Lemonade has gone public, Magmated Bank, Viva, Danone internationally. So there are case studies that this can work and it should be adopted because it is possible to, you know, run a quality company, provide a good product while looking out for workers, customers, and communities in our environment holistically. Yep. Yeah, totally. No, I think it's, um, you know, it's a hypothesis. When we, when we first started B-Lab, it was in 2007, you know, so no, no worse time uh, to try to support <laughs> the private sector business to show the way forward. Yeah. Uh, but during that recession, uh, B Corps actually had a 63% higher survival rate than their peers. Wow. And I think that's, that's the resilience that we're hoping to prove, you know, not just resilience to get through, but to thrive. And so obviously we are being hit with a perfect little Petri dish of an experiment yeah. right now of like, yeah. who's going to survive, who's going to thrive through this. And I think a lot of us can agree that it's those who really take care of their workers and also can be nimble and innovative. You know, you got all good that makes sunscreens and bombs, you can quickly pivot over and make sanitizers and Dr. Bronner's doing the same and also take care of their people. And so I think these stories are really going to be uplifted and, and really show how companies can really be, you know, absorb and kind of flow, you know, with the evolving needs, their communities, their people and, and our planet. 100%. So what does the, depending on how the policy recommendations move forward, what does that kind of roadmap look like? What are the first kind of focuses or priorities? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I invite anybody just to take a look. Uh, you just type in B-Lab White House Initiative or just go to our website at, at bcorporation.net. Uh, what's sweet is that you'll see a whole list of other organizations that are, that are right behind this. And I think right now it's just really just gathering the support um, that this office be set up, um, that it be staffed and budgeted, uh, and then we learn. You know, what, what are maybe some gaps that maybe we didn't think through in the proposal and, and what are some ways that maybe B-Lab can be supportive? But, but right now it's really the promotion and, and creating the validity and kind of urgency for this type of work. Yeah. And that's one thing that's pretty much your main responsibility and your work focuses on is how do you grow the network and the community of B-Lab companies? Um, are there any lessons that were kind of surprising that when you started eight years ago that you would have been surprised about anything that you wish you knew sooner? I think one thing that we were surprised about is just the, the numbers of adoption. So yeah. our business model is not great. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're a nonprofit and we, uh, you know, our operating budget is probably still like, I think right now, maybe 60% uh, comprised of earned income. The rest of it's really dependent upon foundation support. Mm-hmm. which is great. You know, I, I think it's, um, it's great to have good foundation partners and strategic growth. And, you know, we, we were good and very um, 
grateful for being able to get through COVID with a nice kind of rainy day fund and, and not have any layoffs. Wow. Uh, but of course, we'd rather have more earned income coming in to be a little bit more financially sustainable ourselves. And so if you just look at the numbers, they're currently around 4,000 certified B corporations around the world. And about 60% of those actually operate outside of North America yeah, uh, or outside of US Canada rather. And there are about 11,000 companies that have just legally registered as benefit corporations. And so if you would have asked our founders 14 years ago, they would never have thought <laughs> that there would be that many more companies legally registering as a benefit corporation uh, rather than certifying. And so we're, we're learning as we go, but I think if anything, uh, what's been really awesome to see is just the global growth, you know, from B-Lab East Africa to Sistema Bay, Chile and B-Lab Taiwan. And, ah. and so I, I think the learning is, you know, that we need to really navigate and ask ourselves the tough questions about how can this continue to grow without compromising the rigor and integrity of, you know, got us to where we are now and really take care of our communities, our bedrock. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing I spend half the year in Brazil with family and training down there for mm. volleyball. And it's really cool. I was looking up, I think that was, was last year. And I think there's actually more, or the, when I looked, there were more B Corps in Rio than LA, which kind of blew me away. I wasn't expecting that, but <laughs> yeah. it's cool to see how much it's grown and how it's gone international. It's an incredible team down there. Uh, yeah. And they just work day in and day out to, to really. And I think that's actually, what's really inspiring about B Corp is that you just see it really reflect the culture and the strategy of different markets. And so especially across Latin America, not to generalize, but Brazil and Chile in particular, for them seeing how movements or just this work really needs to require dancing and students and young people and storytelling. Uh, it, those are, I think, some of the ingredients that maybe our culture in the U.S. Uh, forgets, which, which really create a lot of durability and, and um, a nice stickiness and allegiance you know, to this, this, uh, this type of work. Following up on the storytelling and narrative, that's one thing I'm really curious about is I'm trying to see how I can have an individual impact in my own life, in the sport of volleyball, and see if I can have that grow. And it seems like storytelling and narrative is really, really important. And for a long time, it's been doom and gloom, um, a lot of cause and effects, which is obviously important to understand how dire the situation is. But I'm curious what kind of insights you've learned through your work with B-Lab about what resonates with people, how to tell a story to inspire people to take action and get involved and be hopeful. Man, that's the question of <laughs> yeah, question of the year right there. <laughs> I uh, no, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate how thoughtful his questions have been. I, I'd say two, two answers. One, just from a business standpoint of just being a, a blessed witness of seeing how B Corps talk about it. And then from a personal standpoint. So from the business standpoint, I think one thing that I've always really been a huge fan of, and some people call it brand affinity or brand equity or allegiance, you know, from, from customers. But I really love when uh, companies, B Corps, but companies are a little self-deprecating. Yeah. And they really kind of poke in themselves. You know, you know the <laughs> exactly. Patagonia's annual impact report and a third of it is just them talking about things they don't do well yeah. and questions are still asking themselves and saying like, we hear you and this is what we're working on. If we can't figure this out, then we'll stop doing it. Yeah. And I think that that really, that really vibes with me. Like I, I really appreciate being able to see that honesty because we are people, we know we're not perfect. And all these sustainability claims of putting yourself on the pedestal of being a responsible business I think a lot of people see through that and that's BS. And it's yeah. really just about asking yourself the toughest questions and evolving and being open to that feedback. I think on the flip side, but also related is that I was just on a 
call, thankfully, with the folks over at Racial Equity Institute. And, and one thing one of the practitioners shared was that, you know, hopelessness is the enemy of racial justice. And I think you can turn that into anything just because it's obviously so interfused and intersectional, whether that be around climate or uh, just difficult conversations at the dinner table of family or friends, is that we can't be hopeless. And anybody who is infusing hopelessness is only pushing us away from being able to find common ground and at least being able to have a mature conversation on what's it going to take for us as one humanity, one planet to move forward in a way that we can make this work, especially for our future generations and something that will make us ancestors of our, of our future happiness. Uh, and I think any story that can really bring people along and also have credible voices and lived experience as co-authors or lead authors, it's kind of that two-pronged thing. You know, it's like you, you really got to have the, the table of good folks to start the conversation and really the way that you use story to move people. Uh, the last thing I'll say is there was a, uh, there's an author I really appreciate named Martin Shaw. It's kind of like a mythic storyteller. And uh, I see what uh, Wendell Berry talk about this too. It's that, you know, a million data points won't always move people. And if, yeah. if anything, it doesn't, but one good story that can really spark some emotion that people feel proximity to can. And so I hope that people really lean into that storytelling too. Well said, well said. Yeah, it seems like that personal connection goes so much further. And that's, you mentioned the questions that we're asking ourselves and when Patagonia and other brands are just kind of honest, like these are the questions we're still working through. The purpose of this podcast and a couple of questions I've been trying to figure out is what is our impact? What can we do about it? How can we scale positive outcomes and solutions? Are these the right questions to be focused on? I guess on a smaller individual level, I know we've spoken a little bit about the need for systemic change and policy to bring about that larger change, but where would you focus? And I guess what questions are you focused on right now? Yep. You, you and I were talking about just being able to at least measure our own carbon footprint as yep. individuals. I mean, you, you're traveling all over and you got work in the tour and, and all that. And that's, it's a tough reckoning when you really yeah. realize what your carbon footprint is and, there's some great organizations like Protect Our Winters and a bunch of others that really created some really cool tools to allow people just to dip in, plug, plug data in and have a better idea. Because if you can't, if you don't, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, yeah. whether that be finances or whatever it is. And if you're passionate around these things, we have to do it personally. I think one, one piece of feedback that I learned uh, from someone named Dr. Tiffany Jana, uh, who's been doing some um, racial equity work with us, is that we all need to really know and find our lane and double down. It's very easy to get overwhelmed by all the different ways and all the different things to contribute yeah. to. But if you can really double down and find your lane and become a subject expert, it'll be good for your own sanity. Uh, but it's also probably a stronger contribution to what other people are, are hoping for. And the other thing that she continues to remind us is that it's important to share your journey. You know, we're not all individually responsible to finding solutions. Yeah. But there are people out there working 24 seven towards those <laughs> solutions. So if anything, the homework is to find those people and find what's the way you can support them. Well put, man. Couldn't agree more. How's your time? I know it's already 1230. So if you got to jump, no worries. This has been killer. Um, I'm good. I'm in okay. uh, Appalachian, North Carolina and the sunshine and the spring's <laughs> showing up. So I'm looking out the window and oh, uh, we're good. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Time for a couple of quick hitters and I'm still working on these and so far they haven't been so quick. So if there is a quick answer, feel free. If there's a long answer, take it wherever you want. What is your go-to spot to get into nature? Is there a local mm -hmm. park, hike, mountain, beach, river? 
Yeah. Um, like I'm in North Carolina, been here just since last February because I was coming out to visit my sweetheart with my Patagonia backpack and just never <laughs> left. <laughs> so, so I've been getting, getting used to the terrain out here and I had no idea that the Blue Ridge Mountain were some of the oldest mountains in the world. Wow. Uh, so there's just a lot to explore here that it's been fun to hop on the bike and we went camping over the weekend and saw the climbers coming out with all their toys. And, you know, it just reminds me of all the opportunity to explore, uh, in nature. And so just to be able to car camp next to the river and hear the oh, yeah. sounds of the water flowing just as a, a, a nice reminder of, uh, where we are on this planet. So I give thanks. Nice. Is there a daily routine or action that you swear by, or that's had an outsized impact on your life? probably calling my mom every once in a while. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm working on that too. Consistency. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. I like yeah. That. Some ritual, some, some familial ritual. Uh, yeah. but honestly, like, you know, a little morning morning routine is important. So yeah. I, mine's not perfect by any means. I'm sure. always putting myself in check about it, but <laughs> any type of morning routine to really center your body and connect your minds a little bit before the deluge, the day hits you. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just something good for balance as we, as we can all imagine. Yeah. I need to work on that as well. Is there a book you'd recommend to someone just starting to get curious about impact? I'm sure there's dozens, but maybe one or two that comes to mind or a few. Yeah. There's um, one of our friends, Chris Marquis, um, yes. professor. Yeah. He just wrote a book, uh, better business B Corp. And so that's so cool. a shameless plug, but I think he did no, a really good job. And I really enjoyed yeah. it. It was cool to get the background and hear some of the backstory that went into what questions you guys were focused on and how it actually all came together. Totally. I mean, honestly, it's like reading that book is like stepping into a board meeting. You know, yeah. It's the toughest questions around this work and take out B Corp out of any of that conversation, but anything around systems change, yeah. especially around the business sector, that book's a go-to. Um, I think also, I think it's getting super popular now, but Braiding Sweetgrass uh, for me is a fantastic book. Uh, and it's just a really great reminder of biomimicry and being inspired by our biosphere and natural systems. Uh in a way that's got some scientific side to it, but also to your point, great storytelling to uh, remind us about this interconnectivity of, you know, this planet and where we are on it and trees being our witness. And we've, we've been here just for a blip for, yeah. <laughs> for the time that trees have been standing is, uh, you know, holding it down. Where do you get your information? Are there any magazines, websites, authors you read regularly or podcasts or newsletters you subscribe to? That's a good question. Probably not from good enough sources. You know, I, I would like to get a more unbiased approach to, to the news that I absorb, but I'm also trying to limit, you know, how much I'm taking yeah. in. So, uh, you know, my sweetheart's a good inspiration just to like spend more time in the books. And, yes. you know, I, I just finished reading uh, Under the, the Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. And mm -hmm. it's an amazing book and it's a nice historical context just to take time and know the history before we just spend too many, too much time on the headlines. Yeah. Um, but the two podcasts I really love, one is On Being with Krista Tippett. I really love that one a lot. She brings on great guests. Mm -hmm. And the other one is uh, On Scene Radio uh, called Seeing White, John Bewin and Ginger Y. Kumanika. Uh, and just amazing podcasts. And I, I would definitely recommend that second one for anybody, even if you just tune in for a few episodes. I'll definitely check it out. What are you most curious about right now? If you had a month sabbatical to research and go down any rabbit hole you want, what would it be? Yeah. Selfishly, I want to get my hands a little more dirty. So I would love yeah. to projects. get into the farm, projects, fail, see things not work, woodworking, see things collapse, try to tinker. Uh, I'm definitely brain heavy. 
heart heavy too, uh, but I could use some more calloused hands in my day to day. So I'm missing some of that. What is a strong first step or action someone can take to have a positive social or environmental impact in their day to day life or community? I mean, shoot, that's the question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would start local. Yeah. Just ask yourself where you are. Think place based, and what are you passionate about? Just that, th- just like that thing of finding your lane and asking yourself and doing a little Google searching on who's doing this work. You know, if you care about the private prison industrial complex and private prisons, find out who's doing that work in your local area, what bills or what petitions you can sign. If it's around uh, reparations, because that's been, you know, obviously coming up understandably from Evanston, Illinois to here in Asheville, North Carolina, or with the marijuana legalization that then ties, you know, to an equity program that there's just so much of that work happening right now. And so I would just say, pick something, have a little story and some passion around it, and then find some great folks who are doing that work, especially if they have equity and justice at the center and especially represented by the people who are leading that work too. Beautiful. Well, thank you again, Andy. I appreciate you taking the time. Any parting thoughts or any uh, information or things you'd like the audience to check out? Well, on, I have the same questions as you. So I would love actually <laughs> just to ask you like what, what has worked for you if you were thinking of taking one step towards yeah. social or environmental uh, focus or, or maybe I mean, something you're, you're pondering, figuring out. Sure. For me, it started with doing my first carbon footprint and uh, rude awakening, measuring and offsetting it. That was a solid place to start trying to fly less, uh, combine trips, but some of it's necessary to make a living as an athlete. But I think what you said, find your lane. Like, what do you care about? What are you passionate about that you'd spend the time to learn more about, possibly collaborate with some of those organizations or nonprofits doing the good work? And where can you have an impact in your daily life in your community. For me, that's the beach volleyball community. So I'm excited on a couple of projects with the AVP tour and others, but yeah, it's definitely, like you said, a long process and a journey to kind of figure out what that looks like. But as long as it's meaningful to you and feels relevant and impactful, I think that helps a lot. Sweet. I appreciate hearing that. And I, I know that there's more listeners and speakers on this. And so I wish I could listen to what people <laughs> you know have in their mind, but uh, you know, I, I just, Really appreciate and salute everybody who's listening who maybe feels a little inconvenient, you know, with the questions they're asking or the topics they want to have and just the difficult but important conversations we need to be in. So uh, yeah. appreciate appreciate everybody standing up for what's right. And, and I know that we're all navigating some, some tricky waters these days. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Andy. I appreciate it. And yeah, stoked to catch up again soon. Right on. Appreciate the time. You take care. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.